Hey, Real Talkers, Hall of Fame goaltender Ken Dryden actually never thought he'd play in the NHL. It wasn't until the six-time Stanley Cup champion won his first exhibition game that he started to believe he might belong in the show. Singer-songwriter Barney Bentall's raised more than $5 million for charity touring across Canada with his band, The Caribou Express. What inspired these two men to reach their true potential? How have they overcome adversity in their personal and professional lives? Find out in this episode of Real Talk. This is a Relay Project. Real Talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson. I want to welcome you to this episode of Real Talk. This is kind of like an old Canada edition of Real Talk. We're going to be hanging out with, quite frankly, two greats today, uh, including our leadoff in just about 45 seconds from now, one of the greatest goaltenders to ever play the game. He was inducted into the Hockey Hall of Fame the moment that he was eligible. He's one of those to have his number retired by the winningest franchise in NHL history, the Montreal Canadiens. Ken Dryden is hanging out with us today, and we're going to get into the pages of his brand new book, The Class, in just a second. And then you've heard me talking about Barney Bentall for the last couple of weeks. Super excited to be hanging out with Barney and, I don't know, 250, 300 of our closest friends coming up on Saturday night at Festival Place in Sherwood Park. Uh, Barney Bentall and the Caribou Express, all in support of CASA Mental Health. I'm going to talk to Barney about the connection uh, in about a half an hour from now between music and mental health and how he's using his tours with the Caribou Express to raise funds for a whole bunch of different nonprofits. It's a really interesting model. I love how he's using his talents. And that's coming up in just a quick second. We know that a lot of you tune into Real Talk to find out about the world around you, including opportunities. And that may include some of you that are looking for, I don't know, something new to pay the bills. You're sick and tired of what you're doing, that same old mundane job, and you're looking for a rewarding and high-paying career but you don't have a university degree. Well, you can get started today as an insurance professional with Business Career College. In Canada, insurance agents are starting around 56 grand a year. They can quickly make over 90,000 annually. All you need to do is take an approved course and then pass your licensing exam. Business Career College offers industry-leading approved courses in life insurance, property, and casualty insurance. Plus, they've got expert instructors that are passionate about helping you launch your new career. And right now, there's a great deal for real talkers you can save 15 percent off any bcc insurance course with the code real talk that's all one word real talk get started today at businesscareercollege.com i know there's got to be a segue there talking about careers and opportunities getting started launching something new and then of course talking about our first guest this morning, everybody knows the name Ken Dryden. He had a, a shortened NHL career by choice, but in those seven years that he played, uh, he won a, a remarkable amount of championships. He's a six-time Stanley Cup champion. He won the Calder Trophy as the league's best rookie. He won the Conn Smythe Trophy for playoff MVP before his rookie season had even officially begun. He's one of the legends of the game. He served his country as a member of parliament and a senior cabinet minister. He's a proud papa, a proud grandpapa, and he's got a brand new book, The Class. Ken Dryden making his Real Talk debut. It's nice to see your face. Thanks for making time for us. Thanks a lot, Ryan. Where do we see you today? Are you at home? 
at home, yes, in Toronto. And this is where you do all your writing. You've you've written a number of books. This is far from your first. Yeah, this is uh, this is pretty much the room, and it's uh, it's 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 a great place on the on the second floor, and you can see a little bit out the windows here, even though we're in the middle of the city. Our house is a little bit higher than this, the houses in behind, and so so we see above the rooftops right into the into the branches of trees so you can almost feel like you're in a forest oh, it looks absolutely incredible it's, it's great to find a space where you can can get, kind of be creative and tap into you know whatever it is that floats your boat or, or that makes your mind work um, this book is really neat I mean I'm guilty of this Ken in introducing you what do I do I rattle off uh, most of or, or at least some of your hockey related accolades I, I didn't even talk about 72 in the summit series and of course we can get into that but your life's about so much more than that I mean this book here uh, sure you, you know you, you probably had some inkling you probably had a pretty good sense uh, that you had a, a long career ahead of you in hockey if you wanted that but but this book is all about your classmates the people you grew up with you looking back decades and, and reconnecting with kind of a unique and special group of of people yeah it was um um it's our high school class and and we were we were a, a selected class uh out of tests exams that we would have taken when we were in grade eight none of us remembers taking them but we took them and there were 35 of us in this class that were chosen from four elementary schools in central Etobicoke. And Etobicoke is a, a western suburb of Toronto. It was, it was really the western suburb at that particular time and, and really, really growing rapidly. And, um, and we stayed together through high school. And at that time in Ontario, we went to grade 13. So it was five years we were together. And with very few exceptions, a, a couple of kids moved uh, out of the area and a couple moved in. But basically, that's 200 days a year we were together. And 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 so and, and we stayed in very little contact afterwards, which, again, was sort of one of the interesting questions of, of why that happened and why only a couple of good friends from high school remain good friends. Uh, the rest of us, it was kind of random coincidental running into each other at events or on the street or something like that or in in most cases we hadn't seen each other at all in uh in almost 60 years so the question for all of us and it's a question that all of us think about at some point in our lives is we look around at what we are doing and the circumstances in which we're living and it's like how did this happen mm. how did we get from there to here and 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 so that's really what the book was about was to try to find the, these classmates and then start talking and to see how life has been for them and i and in in the end i found 34 of the 35 um six had passed away but i found family members of five of those six and then conversations that i thought would be two or three hours with each you know, over some period of time covering their lives. I think it was probably 12 to 14 hours on average that we spoke one-on-one -on -one, and over a course of a couple of years. And I think mostly because we were all trying to figure this out. We were all trying to figure out the same thing. None of us was where we thought we would be doing what we thought we might be doing when we were in high school. 
The framing is interesting. Like you, you talk about that era and, and, and at that time, you know, like, uh, you know, your parents and everybody's parents at that time, sort of post-depression, post-war. This is like the first, you know, you and your classmates, kind of the first generation for most of these families that was going to be going to university. Uh, was that I, I don't know that at that time you're talking grade eight, grade nine, grade 10. You know, you're, you're not maybe aware of that dynamic at that time. But but in retrospect, how do you think that shaped the way that everybody turned out, what did you notice? I think it was, it was, I think what we were aware of at the time was the aspiration of our parents for us to go to university that mm. almost none of them had. Um, most had graduated from high school, but, but many had dropped out of high school. And, and yet, as you describing just at the end of the second world war and starting into the 1950s, there seemed this immense possibility and immense opportunity, particularly in North America. You know, Europe was in shambles out of the war. A lot of the rest of the world was in kind of disarray as, as empires were breaking up, independent um, countries were being created out of colonies. And here were Canada and the US with, with endless possibilities. And, and, and what the sense of our parents was is that, you know, the, the at the, the 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 base of these endless possibilities was education was that if if only our kids can do what we never did and went to university imagine the kind of world that they might be able to create and so that was very much in the in the air but what you're saying as well is is true is that we, you know, we heard our parents talk about, well, it was the depression and it was really tough or the second world war, we had to do this and we had to do that. I don't think many of us listened much to that then, but, but later on we would come to understand of, you know, when most of our parents were born between 1910 and 1920, they were just starting into their young adult years in the, during the depression, mm. not a heck of a lot of opportunity at that moment. And then as opportunity was beginning to present themselves, the Second World War came on. And at times when they would, they they should be moving well into their careers, well into their family lives, everything got put on hold until after the war was over. And, and that kind of experience that they went through of, of, of uh, uncertainty and, and of kind of the caution of, you know, of hope um, uh, and they had to then trans transfer that into a period of great opportunity, and and they struggled with that. You uh, you talk about this class and how what was it? All thirty five of you had kind of like passed this. Exam. It, was, it was like whatever you might refer to it now as. I mean, they everybody's so careful with their language now and how they talk right. about gifted kids and stuff right. and stuff mm -hmm. like that. But um, everybody that knows anything about your hockey career and, and for that matter your political career, you you were maybe a little bit ahead of your time in in several different aspects. Please correct me on any front if I'm inaccurate here. But you you kind of gave off this air of like I mean supremely confident obviously very successful at a young age in the national hockey league but like when you didn't get the contract offer you thought that you deserved before a lot of athletes were holding out you basically took a full year away from the game and went to law school right i mean you you retired you didn't you know bobby Orr style blow out your knee you didn't have a horrific in you, you you just kind of wanted to move on you had a fistful of stanley cup rings you knew you were 
assured to be in the Hockey Hall of Fame, and, and you moved on, and you started a career and, and a long and storied career, including in politics. Was, was there something about the, the school experience or, or maybe something about the dynamic of that class where Ken Dryden grew up going, I'm going to march to the beat of my own drum, do what I want to do, and quit doing what I'm doing when I don't want to do it anymore? I don't think so. I mean, I, I think I think what it was, and and again, you you try to come to grips with this as you're writing a book like this. Is is a, that's one of those questions? Is how you know how did it work uh, in in others' instance and in my own? I don't I don't think I was supremely confident. I I think that I was just so absorbed in what I was doing that. Um, uh, that, that that was it. I, I think that you know that you you have to step outside yourself to feel confidence. You have to self step outside yourself to feel fear, to feel anxiety, to feel all of these things. And and I think I was almost too absorbed in what I was doing to think or feel anything. It was it was just this is something I want to do, and I'm going to do it. And and I want to do it. I like to do it. I want to do it really well. And and in order to do that, I have to be right in the midst of it all the time. And it has to matter to me. And I'll do it. Um, and and then the rest happens or it doesn't. Um, I mean, I think you know the, the probably the most dramatic um, example of that for me was in in the first year that I played and coming up. At the end of the year, uh, played a few games before the playoffs, and then was chosen by our coach in Montreal to play in the opening round against the Boston Bruins. And they were the Stanley Cup champions. They had dominated the regular season. They were the overwhelming favorites to win the Cup. And they, this was the full, you know, the, this was Bobby Orr and Phil Esposito at their peaks. And, and, and we ended up winning and, and ended up winning the cup. And, and I, I think in the end, you know, in, in trying to figure it out, how it, it all happened is that I didn't know I could do it. I just didn't know that I couldn't. Mm. And, and, and so then you just play and then you find out. And the, and the thing that's terrific, if, if, if that's how it feels, is that as you're, as you're starting to find out that you can do it, and that gets really exciting. I mean, like, holy cow, this is something that I never thought, you know, would would happen. And it's happening. And actually, all, all the, you know, that, that I'm actually ready for this. And I had no idea that I was ready for this. And so, and I think it's the same in any of the other fields. I had never, you know, uh, uh, written a book before. I mean, I, I hated writing in high school. Really? I, there was no, you know, the anything that I wrote, I mean, if it was in my head and, and then look at a piece of paper after I was trying to get down, you know, what was in my head, it, there was no relationship between what was in my head and on a piece of paper. I mean, and I thought that was what it would always be. Um, you know, I had no idea really in terms of, of, of politics. I just knew I wanted to do it. And then you get into it and, and you find out. We talked to, uh, just a short time ago, Mark Garneau, obviously a, a, a very accomplished Canadian astronaut uh, and, of course, you know, a, a federal minister as well. Both of you have experiences, so-called celebrity candidates, right? You know, and, and you come in and you, you, you take, I guess, you put your name on the line um, and you step into an, a new arena and you serving as a cabinet minister as well. 
um, you know, serious business. For, for a lot of people, there would be no appetite, you know, for a, hall, a hockey hall of fame or one of the all-time greats to go muck it up and get the elbows up in, in politics. What was it that drew you to that? Did you always have a sense of, like, public service or... Well, I, I, I don't I wouldn't have put it as public service. I, what I would have thought of and, and I did as a, as, as, as a kid, I, I mean, in my imagination was that I thought that anybody's ultimate career, if you had the chance, was and I would I would say I, I would have said government. I wouldn't have used the word politics. It was mm-hmm. to me, it was government. And I and I grew up at a time when government was really central to the realization of of most of these possibilities. I mean, we, we were a country of 13 million people in, in 1950, and 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 you know, as we talked about earlier, the, you know, the the education being at the at the core of this. Well, that was, you know, that was going to need to be realized through government healthcare. Um, something that I hadn't even thought of beforehand, but but came up in a conversation with one of my classmates is that her father was involved as a surveyor in the building of roads and highways in Ontario, and then later took more senior positions. But, you know, that, that again, in order to build these roads to connect small places to big places to what is made and grown in small places to get it to get them to market in bigger places to transport people uh, to recreational places in the north and lakes and everything, you needed roads, you needed highways. And, and and for the subway or for the suburbs to grow, you you needed highways. And again, at the center of that, the scale is so immense; it has to be governments. So I always thought government was was something that was really important and really crucial. And that eventually, that if I had a chance, but eventually, to me, was after I was fifty years old and had done all kinds of other things. But that would be a direction in which I would go. So I never thought of it as public service. It was just this this is where really important, interesting stuff is done and where maybe it can have an impact on how all of us live. And um, and so that was what was in my mind. And 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 I'm sure for Mark Garneau, I mean it was it was the same. I you know, I got to know Mark a little bit in, in Ottawa. And you know, here's this very, I mean, very talented, very accomplished person. And 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 uh, you know and, and sort of the mucking it up with politics, but no, I mean Mark had a focus. I mm-hmm. mean, you know, again, there's some important stuff. Just as he had a focus in the rest of his life. I mean, if he was going to go into space, he was going to have to work like crazy, study like crazy, put in all kinds of time, and over years with the uncertainty of ever finding his way uh, in into space. So I think it, it was. You know, it was the challenge. It was the test, and I think it was the same for you know for me in terms of politics. This is or, or politics or government. You know, is it is that is that it it it's it's a big big test. Yeah, and and you, for that matter, politics versus government. You didn't shy away from running again when when the Liberals lost a majority. You didn't like you know this was something where you continued to be. You had experience as the Minister of Social Development. These days, you look at sort of the you know the the biggest challenges. I think that the, that the Trudeau government is is experiencing in the polls, and, and a big part of that. I mean, there's some some personal stuff. Probably people's feelings. You know, they talk about this political exhaustion. People tire of parties. People desire change. But you know, the country's kind of looking 
looking at things like affordability, the housing crisis. It's what the opposition is kind of latching on for a lot of their uh, talking points. How, how would you assess the state of politics these days? If, if, if it looked then like it does now, would you have still been interested in participating? Well, I would have. Um, um, uh, I would have because I think anybody who goes into politics, you you know, the, you hope to make it better. I mean, and that doesn't mean that you succeed in doing it, but but you know that it's important that it be better, and and that becomes part of the challenge, not just the policies and the directions, but the nature of of it itself. I mean that that. You know the the public of Canada. I mean, it's it's a far better thing if if the public of of Canada um, is confident in um, its political leaders. I mean, and 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 politics in general, uh, and feels as if good things can can happen there. I mean, so much of what you engage in when you are in in government or in in politics is that is that people will come to you with a problem and 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 you're not the first you know you're not the first stop the first stop was themselves they they had a problem they tried to figure it out they couldn't figure it out they you know went to their families they they couldn't figure it out they went to their companies they couldn't figure it out i mean you're kind of the last hope um in it all and and um, um and 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 people need to feel as if there is a, a chance to get out from under this particular problem that they're you know that they're dealing with and it matters that they feel as if there's a place to go um and i think that the you know the the biggest challenge and you know it's become it becomes one that is more difficult every year is that i think there is more distrust all the time mm-hmm. and and less trust in in anything i mean in in any in in schools in healthcare systems in in governments in 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 big companies um i think that there's there's less faith less trust everywhere in that way you're sparing that's, you're that's sparing our thing. industry you, you you could fairly say in media as well can i mean exactly. you, you write exactly. about it in your book i love that passage where you you're talking about McLean's magazine at the time, and this was what, like 50, 50, 60 years ago. And you talk about kind of the the revered spot that McLean's held as almost kind of the national magazine of record. And you talked about people listening like Peter Zowski on the radio and, and all these you know famous columnists and how they would plot out or define maybe the next half century in Canada. And, 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 I, and I really love how in your book you talk about the relationship that people had with those media sources, those platforms. Um, McLean's exists to this day. People have differing relationships. I mean, media is an awfully big word to use. But what's your assessment of, of people's mm-hmm. connection with media and the state of that industry these days? It's, it's, it's exactly as you say, and it's exactly as we've been talked about, talking about, is, 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 you know, is, is where, you know, that... I can remember in, and you know, just just one example. I can you know remember in Montreal when I was playing. There was a there was a, a sports writer there named Red Fisher, and and I I got to the point where I I, I stopped reading um, uh, you know um, um, stories about games and stuff like that, whether we had won or whether we had lost. I mean because. It, it it was just too hard. It was too hard to read, and even if it was really good. 
it would affect my mood too, too much. And if it was really bad, it would. And it's like the only, the only freedom I had really was not to read anything. Sure. But with, but with red, you know, it was, he was really smart and, and, and he had seen it all. And when things went really bad, every so often I would say, I wonder what red thinks. And that's the, you know, that, that it, it, it it's a terrific, you know, if there are those people, then it's it's a real resource for all of us. And and when you think in terms of almost any field now, uh, you know, and, and then like, well, who's who's the go to person? Who do I when I'm not sure about media? You know, who would I want to hear them talk about or, or t- talk about media? I'm not sure who I would, you know, say yes to hmm. about the country then, you know, I'm not sure who that voice would be that I would be seeking out about politics or government. I'm not sure who I would, you know, go to listen to. And that's, that's not a good thing. And, and, and it doesn't mean that you agree with that person all the time, but they make the, you know, they, they themselves put you to the test. It's like, well, if I, if I disagree with that, I'm going to have to have good sound reasons in order to do so. But I'm not sure that there are those kinds of voices um, um, you know, anywhere in any particular field. And, and, you know, it's, it's nice that voices get broadened and it's terrific that they get broadened, but, but, um, there's, there's a kind of feeling of, of connection and commonality and things that is also pretty useful. Yeah, absolutely. This we're coming up on, on what's going to be a, a big weekend here in our home city of Edmonton. Uh, the first ever Battle of Alberta Heritage Classic, which will, you know, the, the, the celebration, obviously, of sport and the outdoor game. And who will forget, you know, the, I mean, one of the, one of the most iconic hockey photos of all time, probably, uh, you know, former Habs goalie Jose Taylor with the toque on. You remember the one I'm talking about, right? Uh, but, uh, but, you know, so hockey, you know, will, will be celebrated this weekend. Uh, hockey's also had... I don't know. I mean, some 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 pretty tough. We've described them as black eyes on the show. The Chicago Blackhawks sex scandal, the sexual abuse scandal, I should call it. Uh, the, the Hockey Canada uh, investigations in the 03 and the 2018 teams. Um, there's kind of the, the the mess right now around pride tape and, and inclusion initiatives and Gary Bettman kind of waffling on where the league stands on that kind of stuff. Uh, I guess about what twenty five years ago or so, you participated in an open ice summit, um, and at that point, you were using your platform to talk about, among other things, um, abusive officials. Uh, and you were concerned that there would be lack of involvement. How, how would you assess right now, kind of the health of the game, the state of the game? What's what? What are some of the things you're keeping an eye on? Well, I mean, when I watch, I mean, I guess I have two reference points. Um, I don't go to games very often. I'm actually going this weekend in, in in Montreal, but I'll probably go to two games a year. Hmm. I watch the highlights in the morning. Uh, if it's a, a, a special game, uh, I may watch much of it. Uh, uh, I watch the first round of the playoffs. Um, I, I, I love that feeling of you know, the playoffs beginning. You've got three or four games a night and every night. And I mean, you've got the possibilities of upsets and I mean, all of that's fun. And the other reference point is that we have two grandkids who, who play, who play hockey. So I watch them play. Um, in, in terms of the level of talent and skill 
it is just it's through the roof i mean it's it's it is spectacular it is amazing uh and and it and i mean it it may start with with connor mcdavid and the things that he can do but but you know there are other players that also are are really outstanding and and that is something and 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 the thing as well is that you watch that but then go to the local rink and watch the you know the, watch a 12 year old watch the 14 year old games watch 10 year olds and and I mean they can all skate they can all pass i mean passing was was almost the last instinct that anybody you know developed when you were a kid you know the idea was you know if you were any good you got the puck and you tried to go through the whole team good luck with that now when sure. you've got five opponents that you've got to get through all of whom can skate and all of whom, you know, are going to be harassing you uh, up the ice. So, uh, in in that regard, it's it's amazing and it's terrific. Um, and uh, and yeah, I mean, you know, that the the other stuff is it's bad stuff. I mean, it won't, you know, one of the things that is a it, it's a real challenge now is is that when you when you when you're able to do more and more in terms of you know, ice time, practice time, specialty coaches, specialty clinics, um, you know, 12 months a year, all of those things. One is, as you know, and your all your listeners know, I mean, it gets expensive. It gets really expensive and it, it, and it becomes a full family commitment. And that's a tough thing. I mean, it's a tough thing for the parents to deal with. It's a tough thing for any brothers or sisters, you know, to deal with it, it, it is a monopolizing life. The challenge that emerges out of that as well is that once once every you know family is is so committed and needs to be so committed and is so financially committed, then then there's a certain sense of expectation uh, that comes out of that of you know I've I've put in all this time. My kid needs to be on the ice. My kid shouldn't be on the third line. My kid should be on the power play. My kid, my kid, and 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 the spirit around becomes much more determined by the parents than it is by the kids, hmm. and 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 that changes things a lot. Um, it 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 that ambition starts to be a part of the equation at a much younger age than it might have been, you know, even 10 or 15 or 20 years ago, let alone all the years before that. Yeah. So that, that's a big shift. Uh, just the, the mood, the atmosphere, the tone around things and the, and the possibilities of abuse um, just become that much greater. Yeah, you write in your book. People should check it out. How how you sort of even in high school, you 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 never imagined. I mean, I I would imagine you probably had a tiny inkling you could play, but you never no, really imagined no, you'd play in the no, show, right? No, I didn't. I mean, that's the that's that like, blows my mind. Did. No, because you know that, like, you know that that you know we had one game a week on that television screen, mm. and that was on Saturday night. And and um, uh, and 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 maybe we went to a game a year. You know, I mean, if we lived in a big city as I did, or in a suburb of a big city, I'd go to a game a year. You know, our father would would, would take me to a game. Um, but it seemed so totally distant. You know, uh, between where I was in playing 
in Etobicoke or around Toronto and with other 12 year olds and, and, and that television screen on a Saturday night. I mean, I didn't know anybody who was on that ice. I didn't know anybody who knew anybody who was on that ice. And, and, and that television screen, you know, it's only incredibly special people that are on that television screen. And all of them to you look like they're 10 feet tall and they can skate a thousand miles an hour and shoot even faster than that. And so I never thought that there would be a connection or that there was a connection between me and it. I wanted to keep playing. I wanted to be really good. I wanted to be really good in peewee and minor Bantam and Bantam and the rest of it. And I wanted to be good enough that I'd be able to play the next year and the next year. And maybe I'd make junior B and maybe I, if, if, if everything went right to play university hockey and, and then it would be over because I knew it would be over because there was no place else for me to go and I would go on to law school and, and, and that would be it for hockey, except maybe I'd coach my kids, you know, later on. And even as at Cornell, we were good, but that was in the U S and college hockey wasn't such a big deal uh, for NHL teams. And even as we won the NCAA championship, and even as, as I was an all American still, it's like, that's an all American at, at a U.S. school. That's not the NHL. <laughs> and, and so you know, I mean, literally, you know, when I mean, I arrive at Canadians training camp and go out on the ice, I thought I was going to get killed. I mean, you, you look at these these guys that you've only seen on a TV screen and now they're on the same ice surface as you. And 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 I thought I was going to get humiliated. My first exhibition game, you know, sort of in the minor league camp, they said, you're flying to Halifax to play against the Chicago Blackhawks. Holy man, Chicago Blackhawks. That's Bobby Hull, you know, give me a break. I mean, he does shoot a thousand miles an hour, mm. you know, and then if I, we, we won three to one, I think it was, Oh, how did this happen? So no, I never imagined it was, it was, it was going to happen. But again, like, I think in part it's that, is that, you know, that I never really sort of stepped back from any experience to sort of see where I was and, and, and as if, where I was and where I might dream of being was going to make any difference. No, you just do it, you know, and if, and if, 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 if it works out, then, you know, who knew? <laughs> yeah, it worked out. All right, Ken. Uh, it's, uh, it's been a real pleasure talking to you. I can't, I'm just, I'm, I'm listening to you talk like this and, and that kind of like, you know, this, this sort of wide eyed amazement at what's happening in front of you with your own hockey career. And I think, you know, present day where everybody knew the name Connor Bedard, when the kid was like 13, you know, the most famous, the, the most well-known fact his mom's ever shared about the phenom. Now the rookie with the Blackhawks is that he, to this day, they claim he's never had McDonald's even once because he told his parents <laughs> when he was seven, he was going to play in the show. And that's been the plan ever since. So it's, it's just unbelievable how things change and evolve uh, to, to bring this back to the book. Uh, really love just even the whole premise of it. You connecting with classmates. I find myself as, as I'm reading this book, becoming interested in the lives of people I've never met and people I will never meet. But uh, the, the way that you write about them, the interest you take in their lives and then what you take from the whole process is is poignant and a really great read. Uh, congratulations on it. The new book by Ken Dryden, The Class, a memoir of a place, a time and us. Thanks for your time. Thanks a lot, Ryan. Sure. Thank appreciate you. it. Uh, that's former federal cabinet minister, obviously hockey hall of famer, Ken Dryden. Can you imagine a seven year NHL career 
which is like by all for all intents and purposes of a, a shortened career. I mean, mm-hmm. some guys would, would be thrilled to play seven years in the show because they barely make it. Yeah. You know, you kind of squeeze out a career. This guy wins six cups in seven years. Incredible. Takes a year off to go to law school because he doesn't like the terms of the contract he's been offered. Yeah. <laughs> Inducted into the Hockey Hall of Fame as soon as he's eligible. Goes on to have, I mean, just a really remarkable guy. And that group, picture of him, I think that's just the iconic. The it, lean. The chat was lighting up before Ken even signed in. And oh, they're like, right? They're like, is he going to be leaning on the stick when he comes on video but also really bedard's never had mcdonald's his mom says that he has never had he's never tasted mcdonald's wow. that was the one time i felt sorry for connor bedard you know you got to crush a dirty mcd's every once in a while don't you i don't know i mean what sort of kid hasn't <laughs> had that now if i find out he hasn't ever had dairy queen that's going to be a full-blown tragedy right you know what i mean and uh, by the way, this is a great time for us to remind you that uh, coming up on Friday, we're going to be busting out the flamethrower. That's the rebranded trash talk presented by the Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park. Your chance to get a rant off your chest. If need be, you know where to find us. Talk at RyanJesperson.com. This interview was presented by our friends at Grand Dog Essentials Quality Raw Food. You've still got uh, just under a week. Uh, to get your orders in on that chicken, veggie, raw dog food, it's 16 bucks off for a box through the month of October with the promo code October 2023. This is a blend that uses whole chickens that are sourced from human-grade facilities. Uh, these are Alberta-raised chickens blended with vegetables. But the reason why it's significant that the chicken's whole is that they use the meat, the bone, the organs, so it provides that foundation for a raw diet. It means that your dog is going to be getting every single thing that they need to ensure that their diet is giving them not just the nutrition but all the other benefits as well it's what grand dog is all about it's what they're built on they've got food for cats by the way you can check it out at granddog.ca when you're there on the shop now link make sure you check out the four leaf rover bundles these are curated supplement bundles to help your pup if they need help with their joints or allergies or or senior support healthy skin immunity support you name it you'll find it all at granddog.ca delivered to your door in calgary edmonton central alberta That's Grand Dog Essentials Quality Raw Food. If you're thinking it's time to finally get organized, you're sick of looking at, uh, you know what I'm talking about, you got your cable box, you got your TV, and it's it's just like on on top of an old box that the TV came in, and things are stacked up beside it, and it's a mess, and you're embarrassed about it. You need to take two seconds to check out CaliforniaClosets.ca. They're in the business of custom closets, storage solutions for the entire home. And it all starts with a free design consultation, whether it's a bedroom, workspace, living area, storage room, even your garage. California Closets and their team of designers has great ideas for you. You can check out how they work, even meet their designers by following the links at CaliforniaClosets.ca. If your overhaul at home is going to be focused more on the outdoors uh, next spring, maybe kicking off a big landscaping project, you're going to want to make sure that you're partnering up with Eden Landscaping. It's what our family did, and I've seen their design team in action. By the way, John, coming up on Monday's Real Talk a few days from now, we're Mm -hmm. going to show you our backyard. We're going to take you into the backyard. Everything was finished. Everything got done. And uh, well, except for the stuff Exciting. that falls on our shoulders, I still got to <laughs> hang a few lights. But but Eden did just a masterful job taking our vision, our big picture idea, 
and then working with our budget to bring our outdoor space to life. They're a custom landscape builder with more than 20 years of experience, and they'd love to put that to work for you. It all starts with a conversation about priorities, what you want your space to do for you, how you want it to work for you, how you want it to grow with you. Eden Landscaping, experts in that, and you'll find them online at landscapeedmonton.ca. Well, Saturday is going to be an absolute blast out at a a beautiful venue uh, just east of Edmonton in Sherwood Park. Festival Place uh, will welcome Barney Bentall and the Caribou Express. It it promises to be a wonderful evening uh, with the famed singer-songwriter and his band. And here's the plus. Here's an added benefit on top of all the great music. The proceeds from this show are going to benefit CASA Mental Health, which is providing mental health supports for literally thousands of young people, typically aged 3 to 17 in Western Canada, in particular in Alberta. I'm thrilled to be playing a a small part in that and uh, really excited to get up on stage and introduce our next guest. Uh, You know him as a singer-songwriter who's seen great career success uh, in the 90s into the 2000s. He he played a lot of shows with the Legendary Hearts and, of course, now touring with the Caribou Express. He's a born and raised Calgary boy. He's been a cattle rancher, and he catches up with us on the road. How cool to connect with Barney Bentall. How you doing, man? Great. How are you, Ryan? Doing very well, thanks. Nice uh, to meet you on, uh, on Zoom. Yeah, nice to meet you on Zoom, and I'm looking forward to hanging out with you and the band on on Saturday night. This is this is a really neat thing that you guys are doing. If if people check out your tour schedule, um, not only will they see all your all your concert dates across the country, but they're also going to see a lot of nonprofits that are benefiting from your shows. Is is this something that you've always wanted to do? Be able to use your music to to prop up the nonprofits and help them out. Well, it started, uh, I think we're on our 18th or 19th year. I'm wow. never very good at, 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 at knowing exactly when, but um, it just started as an idea to, um, um, to raise funds for various charities by doing it almost in the old Grand Old Opry um, way of that songs would be sponsored. That always happened, you know. They'd say this next song is brought to you by whatever company it would be. And I thought, what if you, what if you did a, you know, sort of traveling show where you you involved a charity and they went out and got those sponsorships. And then my co-host Matt Masters from Alberta, from Calgary, we, we introduced the songs and it's often humorous, you know, and and good natured, but all that money that, that uh, the companies give goes to, to the charity. And then we access some matching grants and, and some of the proceeds from the gate, it, it, it um, it's, I, I, it was just an idea 18, 19 years ago, but um, we've actually been able to raise um, over $5 million over that time. Wow. Various charities. So it's, 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 it's been an interesting model and it's, you know, it seems to keep working. Yeah. No so it's kidding. really nice to be, uh, this is, you know, we played festival place before, but we, um, now to have CASA involved, uh, we look for a charity that that can that that knows that they've got to be part of the the puzzle. That's not just a fundraiser that that um, a typical type of fundraiser. So they've got to roll up their sleeves and they've got to work at it and get you know go out and get these sponsorships and and uh, and then help organize and promote the show. Really get you know put people in the theater because then it all works. You know if you got a sold out show, you got a whole bunch of sponsors involved. Then the charity, you know, makes a lot of money. Um, in in uh, Calgary, we're doing it 
think are about our sixth or seventh year with for classroom champions and they uh, they put um, largely olympians and former olympians they put them as uh, you know they they help place them as mentors for kids that are having difficulty in school well they're wonderful charities you know we just have a we have a real collection across uh the country that we work with and and um that's part of our our puzzle and the organizational puzzle is to sort of you know curate that and get a charity that's going to as I say, roll up their sleeves and, and, and get involved as well. Yeah. I mean, it's cool to be able to use your talents, use your name, uh, use your, your existing audience and, and obviously developing a new audience too. people that will maybe be seeing you for the first time, but a lot of people are probably seeing you for the, the 15th time, um, yeah. to be able to use that to, to, to further the goals of these nonprofits. I mean, you know what you're going to be supporting on Saturday, mental health for, for kids, um, we know how desperate the need is there. I was talking to Bonnie Blakely, the CEO at CASA, and she's telling me they're trying to double. Well, they're not trying to. They are doubling uh, the number of families they're helping, but she said that's not even going to come close to meeting the demand. It puts it into perspective. Um, you know, when, when, a, when a young person, when, when they identify an, a need for mental health supports and then the family can't get the mental health supports, we start to question, like, what are we even doing as a society, when we recognize there's a need for mental health support, we can't provide it for a young person, which is far from setting them up for success moving forward. To see music uh, benefiting mental health, I think, is just is a really beautiful relationship. Well, uh, you know, I mean, so many things in that, the, what you just said, I, I and I completely agree. I, I think these me- mental health issues are increasingly, there, there's a lot of confusion out there. And, and, and it's hard for kids and I understand that. And so, and just as uh, we um, worked with a food bank in, in Victoria for, for a long time and the woman who runs it does an exceptional job. And she said, it used to be people were three pay- paychecks away from needing the food bank. And, and now she says it's, it seems like it's one paycheck away from it. So all these things, uh, you know, uh, I believe in the good of society. I mean, you hear a lot of horrific things in the news and I it's those are real, but there's a lot of people out there trying to trying to help in any way they can. And and uh, there's always been that there's it's there's often that relationship between musicians and and you know trying to help in whatever way they can through the yeah, you know, there's don't want to be corny about it, but there's there is healing power in music. I've always felt that. That's 100%. why I've been in this game for a long time. And this show is is super entertaining. I, you know, I'm just one piece of the puzzle. But the variety of music and the guests that um are with us, it's just I even when I'm not on stage during the show, I'm always watching because it's 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 developed into this really I think unique um uh performance there's rock and roll there's there's old time country there's mm. you know with this incredible fiddler stephanie cadman who is you know, an incredible step dancer and fiddle player and you know she might do a kind of a dueling solo <laughs> with the, the guitar player and tap dance we just go in all these areas we've had poets uh it it it, it the the idea is to is really to entertain and then at the end of the day raise some funds for um, really worthy organizations uh, for the benefit of people listening on the podcast, which will be the majority. I'll, I'll let them know that when you're talking, your face is just like beaming. Uh, you, you come across as a guy who's still loving what he's doing. 
um, and maybe I don't know. Is is part of that that you're you're finding this sort of added fulfillment with this layer of of helping these charities and helping kids? Like uh, that's got to make it even more worthwhile. Well, the the year has a real variety for me. And now at this at my my stage of life, I've been doing this a long time, and and I'm really grateful that I can still do it, and I can my voice is strong and. I still have the the drive and the the energy to go out and, and play. And of course, in this circumstance, um, I might, some of my kids are involved. And you know, I mean, they're they're adults now with kids of their own, but they come and perform. Is Dustin um, obviously is Dustin is Dustin, there, and then my yeah. daughter uh, Jessica Niedermeyer is there as well. So mm. she she'll not she'll be out in BC, but Dustin is there for the whole thing. Mm. Um, so we, I, I just I'm. You know, part of my year is doing more standard shows, some shows with Legendary Hearts and uh, various other things that I am have the good fortune to do, to do because music has been a wonderful passport to all those things. Mm. Uh, one of uh, one of our audience members in the live chat, M.A., is, is talking about the fond memories she has seeing Matt Masters play uh, from the back of a pickup truck during COVID. Uh, how, how did the, the pandemic, I'll, I'll recognize, you know, pe- people are still, you know, being hospitalized with COVID. I always want to be careful talking about being out of the pandemic, but I think for, for all intents and purposes, people would recognize that people are starting to look back on the pandemic. Uh, people are starting to reflect on what that two or three year period, how it impacted them personally. Uh, how about you? Like, how, how, what did it do for, you know, to your perspective on, on touring or your music career? How did you find your way through it? We're talking about mental health angles. Uh, was there one there for you? Oh yeah, you know I I've been I've begun to reflect as well. Yeah, yeah. We're humans are kind of fickle. You look back and I go, oh yeah, it was. It always strikes me that it was it was a very dramatic time. You know, all of a sudden when everybody, all my peers, the gigs, the gigs were just completely gone, and so. There was, I have to admit, selfishly, there was a nice element to that because you feel in, as a musician, it's you've just been in a 30 to 40 year hustle. So that was that was different. And you got it got time to just be at home for a long period of time. But but really, the uncertainty was uh, was was something that you kind of tap back into it. And I think there's there's a continued sort of hangover from from that. And I and I and I and I think sometimes maybe it's hard. People don't identify it as that, but there's there's obviously a lot going on in the world that's that's really challenging to kind of look at and cope with. And then on top of that, you know, I think COVID. I agree with you. I don't want to be cavalier about it, but it's it it seems manageable at this point. And you know, people, it's not unusual to hear somebody go, "I've got it," and mm-hmm. again and. <laughs> And, and and life goes on and certainly people are coming to concerts hall concert halls and um because i think the need to have that sort of sense of community but um um yeah sometimes i reflect and go well it wasn't very long ago and that was a strange time totally yeah. totally man i was i was at an event uh, just a few nights ago hosting it and, and somebody came up and and uh, you know just wanted to say hello and and let me know that that was their first outing well, uh since go yeah and and uh, and they kind of had this. I mean, I've never met them before, so I don't know what their typical demeanor is. But they seemed like almost trepidatious in a way, like it was like a big thing for them to be out. Uh, yeah. And uh, yeah, it kind of landed heavy with me. I you know you realize there's still people uh, that 
you know, I mean, for all, I think it impacted all of us in different ways. Everyone has their own story, but yeah. uh, that one made an impression on me for real. Yeah, yeah. I, I agree. I mean, as entertainers, we got back in the saddle pretty quickly. You know, yeah. all of a sudden you'd be doing, uh, you do, you do five or six sold out nights at a theater, but it, <laughs> that's because there are 50 people in the theater, you yeah, know, it's sure. spotted out throughout the thing. And, and it was, it was like your nightmare as an entertainer when you would walk onto stage and you'd see, yeah, it was like, oh, this, this hasn't done well, but it sold out. And so you, they, you found ways to make it work and get out there and to continue to make a living. Um, Cause Lord knows my hobby of being a part-time rancher doesn't exactly pay a lot of bills. I so. wanted to ask you about that. So you're saying that was like almost 20 years ago, wasn't it? That you, you, you bought a cattle ranch. Well, I, I bought a ranch probably 95 or 96. Oh, okay. So longer than that. Yeah. But then in 2000, we bought with two partners, a working cattle ranch, you know, rangeland, And we ran 250 head. It that's small in many ways to sort of Alberta standards, but, uh, we're in the heart of sort of that great ranching country in BC. All right on. And you're still yeah, you're, like, you're in the beef business now or no? <laughs> well, um, I, uh, pardon me. I, um, we, we did that, the working ranch for about six or seven years. And then we realized, I, I realized, you know, like I'm a musician. I, this was taking way more of my time than I, I thought. I loved it. I have no regrets, but. But then we we sold that working ranch and I've still got a quarter section that I grow hay on and there's some cows there now and you know guide outfitters horses I I like being around the animals I like mm. to it's a nice balance for me it's 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 a really part time it's a part time job that is, takes a lot of hours but I thoroughly love it when I'm there I'm a I'm a dog guy uh but there's like there's something about horses isn't there like yeah. just being yeah. around horses there there's just something about them uh, just next level we've already quoted two corb line at lund lines uh um he's a good friend of the show is, there's one uh uh you just said it there's something about horses that's one of his songs and then also i sort of alluded to life is better when you got cows around so yeah that's he's right. always been a, a wonderful he's been a guest on the uh, in the express uh several times oh he's uh, a corbs in uh i i mean i love corb for a lot of reasons um he he was one of the first shows that i ever saw actually uh it wasn't the front man but with the smalls uh yeah. I, remember, I remember a show way back at mac hall the ufc i was barely old enough to get in um, and it was, uh, it was, um, uh, Feist was playing not under it, the placebo was the band, but it was Feist and Corb Lund up there with the smalls. And I look back, I'm like, man, uh, t- 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 had no idea at that time what those two would go on to accomplish, but yeah. it's been neat yeah. to see Corb step up with his advocacy on like, you know, coal mining on the Eastern slopes in particular. And, and he, he, he doesn't come across and he'll say as much. People can check our archives for his interviews here on the show uh, as an overly partisan guy. Uh, he doesn't come in and bang the drum and like call specific politicians to the carpet, but he certainly, I think found a calling um, where he's using his voice and his platform and his reputation um, to demand better for, for, you know, environmental stewardship in the province. And it's, it's been really interesting to see how that's resonated with people because, a guy like Corb, and, and I think it's fair to say, Barney, a guy like you as well, 
Um, you know, you, you've, you've probably got fans that voted NDP. You've got fans that voted conservative, you know, same as Corb. Um, and uh, it's a unique position to be in, to be able to yeah. be a social commentator. To, you do put your neck out there a little bit, right? You know, when, when you're. Well, I, I, yeah, I mean, I completely agree with your saying, what, were you, what you're saying. And I think we've kind of walked that line. I, it's not it's not in my I, I'm not interested in going out there and, and trying to stir the pot. In, in in you know in bipartisan world so i it's true there's there's everything is represented in the people that come to listen to the music what i really liked about and i talked with corb about this when he first when that that the whole eastern slopes of the rockies when that that thing happened and that's something where i just said you know it whatever you need me to do you know i mean i grew up out yeah first of it in Calgary and then in that area in the foothills. So I, uh, that was, I think those are, those are things where, you know, you, it's, it's really important to, to jump in there and, and, and use, use your platform, but you've got to, you know, I think he's, he's smart in that way. And I, it's the way I've tried to walk. You want to use your platform really judiciously because at the end of the day, we're entertainers and you don't want, you don't want any kind of, weird antagonistic dialogue to be what it's about you know yeah you get up yeah it's, it's always interesting right like we're, we're even talking about this and uh, i mean i you brought up your daughter so i hope you don't won't mind me mentioning she's she's married to one of the niedermeyer brothers right to rob niedermeyer and 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 obviously like you know we, we just talked to ken dryden a little bit um he didn't really jump into the deep end dryden didn't when i asked him about pride tape and the sexual assault scandals and stuff like that don't blame him he took yeah. his own angle on that but but, you know, there's there's people that believe that, you know, athletes and that that organized sport like the National Hockey League, the NFL, what have you, you know, has an onus on it or, or you know, has a responsibility um, to tackle the so-called social issues and to take positions. And then you'll hear from a lot of people as well that say, like, you know, as, as who was that that sort of like dismissive television anchor that told LeBron James to shut up and dribble? Uh, I think it was a Fox News host. They just want their athletes to just be athletes. They don't want to hear about social causes. They don't want to see advocacy. Um, so that's always an interesting dynamic to to keep an eye on. You know, the role yeah. to which celebrities or organizations take on the so-called social issues. Yeah. Well, I think that that what the the difficulty sometimes is is that um, either an entertainer or an athlete might not be as well as informed as they should be. I think if you're going to wade into those waters, you've really got to be well-researched mm-hmm. so you know your opinion. I mean, hell, <laughs> but what I could be saying describes politicians too. 100%. <laughs> Sometimes they, you go, I'm not sure you really know what you're, uh, <laughs> what you're wading into. Where I live on Bowen Island, there's a new mayor, and I think he – he came in in that sort of thing, like oh, I'm going to fix everything. You know, everything's screwed, and I'm going to fix it. And then, in the very first big, you know, kind of um, uh, controversy that happens, you know, you see him going, uh, you know, all of a sudden I'm not going to be, <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to be a hell, hell fellow, well met. Oh, so <laughs> this is why I'm nobody's going to this. Yeah, yeah. The people are going to, oh man, gonna partly like me. It's 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 tricky water, so. Yeah, I think you've you've just got to know of what you speak and and be really careful when you wade in the waters. 
Wise words, my man. Hey, I can't, uh, I can't wait to hang out with you and the band. And, and um, I, I think we're just sort of teetering on a sellout for Saturday night. So obviously I'm hoping that this interview will push us to that point. And I'm not talking about a 50 person sellout. We're going to pack festival place party. That's uh, great. That's, really that, thank you for it. your help. Oh, Ryan of course. And Matt, and Matt was really excited. I was talking to you at Matt Masters. Well, is he, he's going to be there on Saturday as well. Yeah. Oh yeah. Awesome. Yeah, well, I can't, I can't wait I to see him again. It. I couldn't do it without him. Yeah. He's, he's my co-host and it's, it's, I've never been like a writer on any kind of sitcom or anything, but that's one of the the, the best parts of this is we write our script. You know, mm-hmm. there's some law firm or some dental office and we pair it with a certain song. It's not as classy as a wine pairing. I get that, <laughs> but we pair it with, with, with a particular song and we crack ourselves up driving from one town to, to the next, you know, writing these scripts. And that was one of the things I never knew if it would work or not. When it first started, I, I, the first, yeah, the first, very first intro was in Winnipeg and it was either dental office or something, but, but yeah, it just, it just worked. So did you use the pulling teeth metaphor at all? I've, we've used it. You name it. We've Millions used it. times you've used it. <laughs> awesome. Brother. But, but, okay. Great talking to you. Ryan. I didn't mean to cut you there. off, but we can talk all morning if you want. No, I, just no, wanna, no. I want to respect your time. Yeah. Um, and I know you got lots going on, uh, but yeah, so Saturday night, that's October 28th at Festival Place. Um, I'll direct yeah. people to the CASA website where they can get tickets uh, right. at yeah. casamentalhealth.org. And then they can you know check out the events link and they can also learn more about what CASA does and how attending this concert, which is going to be an absolute blast, uh, is also going to fund really important services in Alberta. You can also check out barneybentall.com for more on this beauty that we've just been talking to. We'll see you on Saturday, pal. Okay. Thanks, right, Ryan. Yeah. Safe journey up Thanks, here. Johnny. Hey, there you go. What a gentleman. You, the musicians always recognize the producers. Yeah. <laughs> Shout out to the producers for keeping the show on the rails. Yeah. I saw in the live chat people were having some fun. Someone was, um, ta- I apologize, I don't know their, which name it was, but someone was talking about how they'd seen Barney several times or recounting they'd seen him at some uh, really neat venues, some kind of intimate venues, and, mm-hmm. and people started talking about their first concert ever. Yeah. What was your first concert ever? I can't ever? even remember. Really? I, I think it was Green Day. I think it was Green oh, Day. Oh, that's a good one. I was a big Green Day fan, and I think I wore... When I first got my first Green Day band shirt, I think I wore it for like three weeks straight at school. People were like, what are you doing? Like, watch that shirt. Uh, thanks to ACAT to point out on the live chat, Shut Up and Dribble was Laura Ingram. That makes sense. Uh, who told LeBron James to shut up and dribble. I, if I remember correctly off the mm-hmm. top of my head, it was when he was wearing the I Can't Breathe shirt. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's what it was. And, and what a, I mean, uh, yeah, what a dismissive and ridiculous comment. I, I mean, I you know, the people that say, you know, you want to go to a show, you want to go to a hockey game, whatever it is. You want to go somewhere to kind of forget about the world around you. I you want to be that. distracted. Yeah. I guess I get that. I also understand why, um, whether it's talking about you know the, the murder of a black man at the hands of police or injustice with indigenous people or mm-hmm. or you know gay and lesbian population or whatever the case may be, that for someone like LeBron James. Uh, or or a high profile musician or somebody to take on a cause mm-hmm. and to mention it and, and to 
it amplifies that cause times a million. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I, I always think it's funny when, when especially like star pro athletes or, or musicians or, you know, pop star, whatever it is, they're always like, don't think of me as a role model. I never wanted to be a role model. That's well, Charles Barkley. Yeah. Well, what are you going to do when there's millions of people following you and wanting to dress like you, wanting to act like you and talk like you? So I respect the people who do stuff. Like, it's not a prerequisite that you have to be someone who gets up on a soapbox, but I respect the people who, who take the time to stand up for, you know, what most people believe is right. And uh, I think we should get to this about the pride tape. It's been reinstated. Let's do right? it. Yeah. yeah. So, so Gordon Miller put this up on. They kind of walked it back, I guess. The league did. Yeah, there was a lot of things that kind of developed this week. Gordon Miller first put this up about four days ago. He basically went to the rule book and circled where you know adhesive tape of any color can be wrapped around the stick at any place for the purpose of reinforcement or to improve the control of the puck. This is right from the NHL rule book. So he put that up. Pride tape retweeted it. Uh, and what do you know? Uh, a couple days later. The NHL comes out with this statement basically saying, oh, after we thought about it, uh, we were wrong. So you can wear any type of tape. This is also after the player, what was his name? Uh, Trevor. Travis Dermott. Travis Dermott. Uh, yeah. The first player did. Was the first to wear it. To throw it, some to, pride to tape it on, on the his stick, of his stick. After yeah. the, uh, the statement from the NHL came out telling people they couldn't. Uh, which was great. Which, there you go. There's a guy who, the guy's on like a one-year contract. Yeah. You know, he's not the, a lot of job security. No. He's not exactly the, the first line NHL all star, no. but he decided to put his, his neck, neck out, out there and do it. Yeah, it, it was, was awesome. I, I'd be curious. You know, we should we'll, we'll try to get an interview with him. I know uh, I'd, I'd be curious to know what it was that prompted or, or who it was that prompted him to do it. Was he it, put out a statement saying that it was something that was really close to his pers- heart. And, yeah, personal. Yeah. And so he didn't say exactly what, but I'm guessing he has friends or family members or yeah. someone who, who was close to him. That's how a lot of people end up <sighs> uh, kind of um, changing their minds on mm-hmm. something or people that end up having, you know, like evolving their perspective on something or deepening their understanding of an mm-hmm. issue is when that issue starts to affect somebody that they love yeah. and somebody they care about. Well, imagine imagine this happens and you're you're sitting next to someone you you genuinely yeah. care about and they and that you see their face. Anyways, and then Pride Tape of course putting out this I thought this was great. Thanks for sticking up for Pride Tape. Love it. Uh so they're back, which you know a lot of people if you're not aware, Pride Tape from right here in Edmonton. Yeah, developed right? right here in Edmonton. So this is a big deal. That's yeah. been an awesome campaign. And, and and I guess, you know, hey, credit where it's due. You know, shout out to the NHL. I mean, a, a, sort of a, a, a poor decision, I think, out of the <laughs> gates to ban it. But but I... I kind of like the Homer Simpson. But I'll re- like walking back into the bushes. But I, I respect a person or an organization to respect where it's due that, that you know, fucked up on fixes something. Fixes a mistake. And then yeah. fixes it mm-hmm. and, and says, like, we were wrong. And, and we're going to do better. And I think that that's great. And I think we should applaud that. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so good on them. And we'll see what other athletes will do. I didn't know even, I mean, to take it away from pride tape and just to talk about colored tape. Yeah. I didn't. So any tape of any color. I mean, yeah. You, like people had always said, like goaltenders don't like certain tapes or guys, don't, you know, don't Goalies. wrap your blade with white, you know, wrap your stick with black tape. It's tougher for the goalie to see yeah. the puck and all this. 
You know, I'd be curious to see guys the whole, a little more pizzazz, a little more flair. I would love on it. Stick. Why not? Why not? Like, like hockey's doesn't. You get the goal, blue for the, the goalie masks, like, which are great. Yeah. Uh, goalies always have kind of their personalized. You mm-hmm. see a little insight into their personality. I think like Mika Kiprasov back in the day had Iron Maiden, Eddie all the time on his masks yeah. and cool stuff like that. I think it's funny how the goalies like sometimes they even have pads that kind of. Uh, you know, like like give less light to the five hole and stuff like that. But they're the first ones to complain about like the visors too dark or yeah. like the laces are too bright or like <laughs> you know what I mean. But they're always the ones who get to express themselves the most. Yeah, I think just, it's goalies are weirdos. Yeah. They're like drummers, you know. But but we love them. We love you goalies, and we'd be screwed without you. Um, this conversation is happening because of the support of sponsors like Kubi Renewable Energy, and I want to draw your attention to their Instagram. I mentioned this a few shows ago, but in case you missed that, uh, go follow Kubi Energy on Instagram. Look at this, Johnny. They have 999 followers. Will somebody please go and get them up to 1,000? I know. Let's go get them 1,000 followers. Let's get them 2,000 real talkers, but they got a post just a couple of posts ago. On the, look at this. They installed solar on this Windermere fire Hall. It's a brand new. It's the newest fire hall in Edmonton. Oh. Uh, it's the first net zero fire hall. Did they just hit a thousand? They just somebody just <laughs> ah, I refreshed. I love you guys. <laughs> <laughs> and so this is the first net zero fire hall, I think, in the province. And uh, they just did an absolutely stunning job. The install is so clean if you're just listening to this go look at what i'm talking about because you'll see the roof like the way that it curves and the undulations like it's just the sickest looking install you this is pros pro install that's what you get when you partner with kubi renewable energy you can get a free solar quote today at kubienergy.ca you think they'll walk with a little more swagger now that they got a thousand go followers? back show the screen. i like that let's go see let's go see time. what they have that now in real great. time um let's refresh, see maybe, maybe they've got maybe they got more than that now yeah they got boom a thousand <laughs> on the nose i love that hey our friends at complete care restoration want you to know that while everybody knows them and they've built their brand on helping people bounce back from from the real nightmare stuff, right? Fire damage, flood damage, uh, mold, asbestos, all the stuff that you go, oh my gosh, we got to call a professional on this. They've also got a team that's ready to go on any construction or renovation project that you may be dreaming up. That was us. Uh, we weren't in this space due to fire or flood, but Complete Care Restoration was on our radar. They came highly recommended because of the work they do with their full service trade staff. They can perform anything you need to homes and businesses. That could be insulation, drywall, painting, carpentry, uh, cabinetry. Uh, I mean, they did a beautiful job here working with our vision. It was the first studio that they'd ever built, uh, and they did an unbelievable job. We recommend them with two thumbs up. Don't mess around with construction and renovation projects. Go with Complete Care Restoration on our recommendation and our friends at Friesen Brothers want to remind you coming up on the 1st of November that's the next 15% off plus they've got seniors discount day that's 10% off for seniors every Friesen Brothers store has a seniors discount day it differs on the week so you know Monday for example Manning and Peace River Tuesday Drumheller Hannah and Fairview Wednesday's a big one with a whole bunch of stores Uh, today if you're listening to this on Thursday at Grand Prairie if you're a senior in Grand Prairie it's 10% off today at Friesen Brothers. How cool is that? While you're on their website at Friesen.com, that's F-R-E-S-O-N, you can also check out their flyers. I recommend the Family Essentials flyer where you can check out not just great deals, 
stretch your dollars further, but also great recipes, solid food, minimal time required to prepare it, including back-to-school meals. You'll find it all at Friesen.com. I like that new music bed you picked up, by the way. I'm just trying to funk it, up your mornings. You are. Funk up your mornings. That should You're be our new. That should be our new billboard. <laughs> funk up your mornings with Johnny Infamous on Real Talk. Oh, That'd be great. Great uh, show yesterday. Oh man, mm-hmm. yeah, Mark. Um, can, can, do you mind loading up our short that you did? I thought you did a beautiful job. We, we tasked Johnny yesterday because Mark Charrington comes in here. I don't know if you know Mark or not. Um, if you missed yesterday's episode, check it out. It was just this like really chill casual hour-long in-studio conversation with a guy that's quite frankly unlike anybody else you'll ever meet uh the guy he's the first guest i think in real talk history to give out his phone number on the show yeah, he's very open he just gives individual. out his phone number yeah. um that's also how premier danielle smith was able to just call him based on what she saw on twitter which i thought was a neat story story that he shared that's awesome um, i was able to mention that to premier uh yesterday at her lunch she spoke at the uh edmonton chamber lunch mm-hmm. uh, we let her know that we're looking forward to talking to her hopefully next week uh we'll have an announcement on that as the fall session resumes at the alberta legislature but mark is uh an in independent human rights advocate, which means that he, he gleans uh, sponsorship dollars from people just like you, um, runs it through a, an organized nonprofit. So there's record keeping, you get tax receipts and all that kind of stuff, but he just helps people that need help. Like who he, does that? This like guy. When you think okay. about volunteering, most people think like, I'm going to go to this organization. I'm going to put, you know, For put like in two a hours. resume and see if they need people. This guy like built his own i don't want to call it a business because he doesn't profit from it yeah he just created it out of thin air people just to that help need, people. you know everything from babies that need diapers to, to little kids that need snow boots for school uh Wide you know, people that are being sexually exploited teens that have lost their parents uh, seniors he told us uh, he, he provides 200 bucks a month for uh, a couple in their late 80s uh that were in an accident of some sort they're on a fixed income and they'd be quite frankly, starving without Mark. Um, and and uh, so, you know, he provides 200 bucks in food for them. It's just an example. And so, you know, we encourage you to check out that episode. It will move you, I guarantee you. Um, and uh, he told a story of, of a girl named Nicole. Uh, it's one of the more powerful stories that I've ever heard. And Johnny did beautiful work with it on our Instagram and our TikTok. Check it out. I was working with a girl named Nicole. Nicole was really entrenched in sexual exploitation and she was working on 95th. I say, I go home that way. I see you often. Maybe you can give a signal to me that you're okay. I said, what do you want me to do? And she goes, just come up, slow down and I'll see you and I will give a sign. I go, okay, what's the sign? And then she gives me this exaggerated wink. Days after that, when I'm going home, I'd see her many, many times and she's always the wink. Sometimes she wouldn't wink and I'd just pull up a bit head and she'd come running to the car and we'd take off and I'd drop her off safe. As time went by, I saw her less and less, and then I stopped seeing her. And I moved on to the next case. 10 years, 12 years go by. I'm on the number eight bus. I see Nicole get on the bus. I was going to stand up and go, Nicole, and go see her. But I realized at that moment, at that time when I was helping her, I was part of that nightmare in her life. I didn't want to be a trigger. We get to the bus stop. She'd gotten off the bus. I hear this tap, tap, tap on the bus window. And I look, and she looks at me for a minute, and then she gives me the wink and walks away like hey mark i'm okay unbelievable stuff from mark charrington yesterday 
Uh, you can watch or listen to that interview right here on YouTube, uh, wherever you get your podcasts. If that's where you're listening to this, we sure appreciate you there. When you see or hear something you love on the show, uh, we don't want to beg. Uh, we just want to mention to you how much it means to us when you hit like, when you subscribe to our channels, and when you tell people about what we're doing. We're really proud uh, to be bringing real talk uh, to our audience uh, across Western Canada, but that doesn't happen without your support as audience members, and we sure appreciate you. Coming up on tomorrow's episode, as we wrap up our week, we welcome back the strategists. It's a Real Talk Roundtable teeing up the fall legislative session. Of course, we'll talk some federal politics as well with the hosts, the personalities of one of our favorite other podcasts. They never disappoint when they're here on the show. We hope that you'll join us live at 830 Mountain or later on demand. You can get all the details. Sign up for our weekly email. It's free at ryanjesperson.com. Make it a great day. And thanks for supporting Real Talk. Real Talk is hosted by Ryan Jesperson. Executive producer, Josh Dunford. Technical producer, John Hicks. General manager, Katie Cook-Chivers. Account coordinator, Lawrence Durlego. Human resources, Lena Shepard. Website design, Mike Johnston. Voiceover by me, Carrie Skelton. Real Talk's editorial board is Sapria Duvetti, Ahmed Ali, Brandi Morin, Ann Castleman, Corey Hogan, Harmon Candola, Catherine O'Neill, and Chris Henderson. Member Emerita, Julie Rohr. Real Talk is recorded in Edmonton, Alberta on Treaty 6 territory, the traditional and ancestral territory of the Cree, Dene, Blackfoot, Soto, and Nakota Sioux, home to the Métis settlements and the Métis Nation of Alberta. Real Talk is a Relay Project. For more, check out ryanjasperson.com.